found that Christmas has come around this year really quickly. Anybody in that boat? Yeah, not just me. Now, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year where joy and thanksgiving abound as we spend time with family and friends and colleagues. Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace on earth and goodwill to all men. It's a time for setting up the Christmas tree, which has already arrived with a vengeance all around the place, including the Countdown car park and many other places, and setting up the nativity scene. Christmas is a time of year when we start to sing things like jingle bells and joy to the world. Joy to the world. And yet, it is a well-documented fact by the New Zealand Herald that many people struggle with depression and discouragement more in these holidays than at any other time of the year. Interesting. One Kiwi survey, again, reported specifically in the New Zealand Herald that 45% of all Kiwi men feel more anxious in the Christmas season because it's a reminder of perhaps a painful divorce or the death of a loved one. Maybe even the loss of a job. And maybe it's an unrealized dream. And just one more year passes by. Somehow we mark our lives often by these Christmas serendipities. So as we rapidly approach this season, which will start this week, I just want to intro this season and ask a question for those of your friends and maybe some of you here today that struggle in this season and this challenging time, what can we learn through this? And I want to talk today about where we find hope. Tiffany mentioned it in the song. Hope is an essential ingredient in life for an abundant life. An essential. You need hope to cope. Without it, life is very grey. The kind of life that Jesus wants for us absolutely includes hope. A beautiful word. It is essential. Because the Bible says this, hope deferred, put off, not realised, makes the heart what? Sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Nothing to look forward to. Blah. It does, it makes the heart sick. Now we need hope. Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner in the Auschwitz prison camp in the, during the Holocaust, he was a psychiatrist. And he closely observed, up close and personal, what enables some people to survive the most atrocious, despicable conditions, while others didn't and died. And he wrote his findings in a book, if you're interested, called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. Listen to what he says about the power of hope. He says, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, it's up here on the screen, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold and he let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. Hope, friends, is a powerful force. 
in the human heart, but it can wane, especially during the Christmas season, but there's hope. And some of you need to hear that. Now, I am not talking about a feeling that's kind of pumped up by some pick yourself up by the bootstraps, psych yourself out with some false optimism about the future. Because for some of you in this room and some of you listening to this message, life is not okay right now. It is not okay. So to try and hype it up will be completely disingenuous. Instead, I believe that the true and lasting hope is available and as a result, listen carefully, flowing from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was so much more than a human child born to a very, very poor family in a hick town called Bethlehem with very few people in it 2,000 years ago. There was something very different about the Christ child. And when we discover what that difference is, you will be surprised by hope. 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. The prophet Isaiah, speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit here, described some qualities of the coming Saviour of the world as he looked down the corridors of time supernaturally. 700 years before he came. Describing the qualities of the coming Saviour, what he will be like. Look at this, Isaiah 9.6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And notice the hope now. Here's some of the attributes. Notice the hope injected here. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. These are four qualities that Isaiah uses to describe the coming Saviour whom we know to be Jesus Christ. Born 2,000 years ago was a son that was given. Now when you put your faith in Him, you'll start to see these qualities and you'll be surprised by hope. Let's take a look. The first quality that Isaiah used to describe the coming Saviour is wonderful counsellor. So the number one quality, Jesus as my counsellor reveals God's love for me. I want you to write that down. Jesus as my counsellor reveals God's love for me. Jesus doesn't need any counsellors or advisors. Being God, He is omniscient. That means He knows it all because He created it all. Before you create, you have to know how to create. In fact, the Bible says this in Colossians 2, 3. Listen carefully. In Him, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him. He's the one that figured it out. So we know that whatever Jesus says is true. He doesn't make mistakes. The phrase wonderful counsellor there could literally be translated wonder of a counsellor. They're having the wonder of a counsellor who knows everything perfectly. The wonder of that. Man, there'd be a queue as long as your arm waiting to see this guy. 
The wonder of a counsellor who knew everything. The Hebrew word there for wonder refers to the impact created by a supernatural act. Whoa! Haven't seen that before. Amazing. Now there may be no more stunning supernatural act of God than when He sent His Son 2,000 years ago to be born as a human being and to live a perfect life as only He could live. To pay the price for sin, dying on that cross. That was the greatest act of love ever demonstrated for you and I. The Bible says this in Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrated, didn't talk about it, He demonstrated His own love for us in this. How? How did He demonstrate it? While we were still scallywags, whilst we were still uh, sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. Were we good enough? Absolutely not. Did we deserve it? Absolutely not. So Jesus came as the embodiment of God's unconditional love. Jesus came to the earth again 2,000 years ago to die on a cross and pay the price for sin. And everyone who puts his or her faith in him will have everlasting life. That is a mind blower. Look at this from the Amplified. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized, just like you do your precious children, the world that He even gave up His only begotten, unique Son, so that whoever believes in, now what does that mean? It means trusts in, clings to, relies on Him, shall not perish or come to destruction or be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send His Son. Notice this, notice. He didn't send His Son into the world in order to judge, to reject and condemn and to pass sentence on the world. But this is why, that the world might be fine salvation and may be safe and sound through Him. Now that, by the way, friends, if you've never come across that version before, is the amplified version. And that's because the Greek language in which that was originally written has many shades of colour not sometimes just very um, one-dimensional. The Greek language is quite full. If you want to, sometimes you come across a verse you don't understand, I highly encourage you, pick up an Amplified, learn a little bit more about what it's actually saying. Now, Jesus didn't just die so that you and I could get to heaven. He died so you could get to God. Big difference. Do you realise that the God of the universe wants you to be with Him and Him to be with you? He wants that. And he made it all possible when Jesus paid the price for your sin and mine on the cross. That's how he made provision. That's how much God loves you. I mean, the magnitude, the size of that blows my mind. And it should blow yours too. So I was thinking about ways to visualise this. Potentially a way to visualise. Well, at least it might help. So stay with me for a few seconds on this. And let's reflect at the end. What I want to think about is visualising the enormity of God's love. God's love is so enormous and more amazing than the largest stars or planets in our universe. Now this is a picture here of the planets in our solar system. Now just as a comparison, look at the size of the Earth. You can see that, right? Compared to Jupiter, right? The Earth's just a little marble compared to that's a whacking great bowling ball. A very big Jupiter. That's a big one. 
And there's a, but you compare Jupiter, let's flick on to the next one. Jupiter is over there and you compare that to our sun. Jupiter is another marble compared to our sun. So we are very, very small. Look where we are. We're just hardly a pixel or two here. And then if we compare the sun to our next one, let's do this. You can put a, a hundred Earths across and how many inside? 960,000 Earths into our sun. That is a very big sun. But that's nothing compared to the next one. There is our sun. Look at this here. Look at this next one. Compare that to Betelgeuse. Uh, and you can put 17,500 suns into Arcturus. Then look at that compared to Betelgeuse or even more. In Taurus. It's ridiculously big. Next. Then I came to try my, my feeble attempt. <laughs> a shot at drawing of God's magnitude of love for me. And I think it would look something like that. Listen, here's the point. God loves you more than the largest star. He is humongous. His love for you is more vast than the 200 billion galaxies. Think about that. He made all of those. There's something very strange about the scale here. We're very unfamiliar with that. The scale of that. And God loves you so much that humanly speaking, it's almost impossible to comprehend. His love is so vast, so powerful, that once I really embrace it and I live in it and allow myself to be controlled by it, everything changes. I will never be the same again. When you come to believe that God loves you and His love is so huge and He wants to be with you, you'll be surprised by the hope. The second quality of Jesus as our Saviour that Isaiah declares is this. Jesus as the mighty God is in control of all things. If He can run the universe, He can run everything. There's a word that theologians use for this. It's called sovereignty. And that's derived from his omnipotence. But one of the attributes of Jesus that gives me the most hope in life is this, his sovereignty. That he, and that means that he's ultimately in control of everything. Everything. Even Satan. Do you know that? He says, Satan, you can have a sandbox. Here are your boundaries. You can't get out of that. So never, think, never give him more credit than he ever deserves. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus does not cause the bad and the ugly things in your life, but he will allow them to strengthen your faith and further develop your character. Now remember this. There can be no transformation without tribulation. You may want to write that down somewhere. That's a, often a, an axiom that's applicable in your own life and in the life of your children. There can be no transformation without tribulation. Now, notice this verse here. This is how it works. Straight from the Scriptures, James chapter 1 and verse 2. Consider it a sheer gift. Really? I'm getting a gift? What's the gift? When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, that's supposed to be a gift. That's what the scriptures say. 
You know that under pressure, you know what that feels like, Martin? Under pressure, your faith life is forced to come into the open and show its true colours. So, don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. So you will become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Now that's exactly the opposite of the way that we sometimes face trials, right? And tribulations. Yow! This is painful. Get me out of here. Peter alludes though, just to make sure you get the whole idea, to the same idea. He's talking about Christians who are under the equivalent of pretty much ISIS today. And some of our dear brothers and sisters are under the foot of ISIS today. Our family. But in this case, Peter was talking about Nero, who unleashed hell on Christians. Cruel, intense persecution. So this is the background into which Peter is about to address. Now, Peter is almost has the audacity to say, I know there's problems right now. I mean, that's the understatement, right? The understatement. But there's even hope in that. That's what he says. It's not here right now, but it's coming. So, he just says to them this. He says, you Christians, I want you to live your life with one eye firmly fixed on eternity. Here it is. First Peter 1. There is wonderful joy when? Now? Is that what he says? No. Ahead. Even though you have to endure how many trials? How many? Many. Not one, not two. May God's Spirit give you new eyes to see the Scriptures and what He wants to do in your lives. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. What He's talking about is a little while on earth. These trials show that your faith is genuine. Brackets and not just words. Close bracket. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, its heart in the furnace. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. What's that? So when your faith remains strong through how many? Many, circle that. Some of you have missed that and you've read that verse a thousand times. Many trials. It will bring you much praise and glory and honour on when? When? On the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So he's saying hang in there and through the tough stuff keep one eye firmly on Jesus and knowing this will not last forever. 70 years is but a poof or 80 years it's but a poof in eternity. Don't forget that verse, friends. Circle those many. He knows about it. And this is the people that were under persecution by Nero, Isis. So God accomplishes His purposes through my problems and in spite of my problems. So no matter what's happening in your life now, you, friend, can be confident of the fact that Jesus, as a mighty God, is in complete Control. Remember, he runs the universe. He has authority, all authority, all power, and is quite literally 
holding your life together. Think about it like this. An atom is a fundamental piece of matter. And everything in the universe is made up of atoms. But in the middle of that atom, there's a neutron and a proton. The proton is positively charged. Neutrons is neutral. Now what happens, do you remember when you were kids, or your kids did, two magnets, and you push them together, sometimes they go go together. There's a force pushing it apart. So remember, you will know what happens here. Protons should not stay together. So what's holding the nucleus together? Why doesn't it just fly apart like your magnets? Why? Dr. Carl Darrow, highly respected physicist at Bell Laboratory, says this. All the massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created. And if created, they should have blown instantly. Yet here they all are. Some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of the inhibition is also a secret one thus far, reserved for nature for herself. Actually, the Bible says this in Colossians 1.17, in Him, Jesus, all things hold together. In Him. And you can say, oh, well, that's strong, weak nuclear forces. Yeah, what creates them? How they work. The word hold together in verse 17 means to cohere, to be um, constituted with. The meaning here is that Jesus is the one who literally is holding the universe together. Think of it, you're all made up of particles and atoms. Pretty weird, isn't it? Possibly, this is what, uh, and one day, by the way, Jesus is going to let go of all that. He's going to let go. And possibly that's what it alludes to here in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away and roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved. But this won't happen until Jesus lets it all go. Amazing. John MacArthur also in his commentary in Colossians says this, not only did Jesus create the universe, he also sustains it. He maintains the delicate balance necessary for life's existence. He quite literally holds all things together. He is the power behind every consistency. You see, behind every law, there's a law giver. He is gravity in the centre of view. Listen, people say we know a lot of things to say. Here's a good question to you. I know ask any scientist. What's gravity? Well, it's 9.81 meters a second. So what? What is it? How does that actually work? We don't know still. We don't even know the basics of things like that. Here's the gravity, the centrifugal, the centripetal force. He's the one who keeps all the entities in the space and motion. He is the energy of the universe. So, here's the power behind every consistency in the universe. There's over a hundred of them that we need to even keep us alive. Dr. Douglas Moon, his commentary on the Colossians agreed. What holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person. The resurrected Christ, without him, electrons would not continue to circle the nuclei and gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbits. Now, here's my point of all that. Do you really think if Jesus can hold the entire universe together at the subatomic level, that your problems are too difficult for him? There is nothing that can happen in your life that is outside the power of Jesus and his notice. He didn't go, oh, I didn't realise that was going to happen. I forgot about that. 
He knows the future. Listen, no matter what you're going on, is going on in your life now, there is hope. Because Jesus is not going to let you fall. He's quite literally holding your life together. And He knows the moment you were born and He knows the exact moment you'll pass to be with Him. He already knows that. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about anything. You can place all of your confidence in Him because you know that He loves you beyond measure. When He says He loves you, that's a capital L, man. And He has everything under control. What we tend to do is say, okay, Jesus, I'll give you this and I'll give you that. But mm, that's a really big one. I'm just going to hold on to that one. And I'll try and control it myself. And then we get something called stress and anxiety and worry. And I think Jesus was pretty clear on those. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing means nothing. Zip, nada, nothing. How's that, you know? You know, I think I can handle one. Well, how's that one working out for you? Doing all right? He just wants you to put all of his feet to trust who he is, trust his character, trust his attributes. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. That's what the Bible says. Cast some of your cares upon him. Right? May you, some of you here today, may the Holy Spirit deliver you from worry. You've been a Christian years and yet you still worry. Let me say this in a very a humbly forceful way. Worry is sin. You're acting like an atheist, like you don't have a father who loves you and cares for you. Stop it. Stop it. It's affecting you. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your children. Stop worrying. Be anxious for some things. This is getting the true colours of our faith on the road. Cast all of your anxiety on Him. Why should I do that? Because He cares for you. Some of you need to drill that. You need to take that worry. You need to rip that out, extract it, and upgrade your app. Cast all of my cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for me. He loves me. He's got. Yeah, well, I'll be, you better keep going. When you believe that, well, actually, will you believe that or will you resist it? I'm just sensing the Holy Spirit challenging somebody. Will you believe it or will you resist it? When you believe that, Jesus' love for you is greater than the largest stars and the planets and it stretches far from there. As a mighty God, He's got everything under control. When you believe and act like Jesus is the mighty God, then you will be surprised by the hope that starts to flood into your soul. The third quality Isaiah used to describe the coming Saviour of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus, as the everlasting Father, keeps His promises. To keep them. Now, when my kids were little, and this is a long time ago, my wife would kill me because I didn't ask her to put this up there. That's where they were before we came back to New Zealand. That little guy now is six foot three inches. He's a guy that just got engaged. When my kids were little, and often at Christmas time, they'd say, Daddy, please can I have that? And sometimes I would say, Okay. 
Yep, I think we can probably do that. And then you know what the next question out of their mouth was, was, will you promise? (laughs) And I'm very careful about what I promise because nobody wants to let their kids down, right? Nobody. I mean, do you really mean it, Daddy? I was careful because I wanted my kids to grow up knowing that their daddy was dependable. I wanted to know that they could trust me. And if I made that promise, it was as good as done. But there were times I would not make a promise. I'd say, well, I'll see. You've used that line. I'll see. Or I'll try. Because in my mind, those are statements that are not binding, but a promise, well, a promise is a promise, right? And a broken promise breaks little hearts and no father wants to break little hearts. Now as Jesus, the Son of God, He had all the divine attributes of the Father. Hebrews 1, 3 says, note this verse. Very important verse. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So when you look at Jesus, that's why you see, you see, you see me, you see the Father. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And Jesus as God has the heart of the Father for His children as the living Word and He always keeps His promises. So when the Bible says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. You can believe that. When he says, the Lord God is a sun, is a sun and a shield, you can believe that. When he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you. For I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will surely help you and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. You can believe that. And when he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am that you also may be. You can believe that. And when you believe that Jesus' love for you is greater than the largest star or planets in our universe, and that He is a mighty God, has everything in your life under control. And as the everlasting Father, He always keeps His promises. You'll be surprised by hope. And finally, the fourth quality that Isaiah uses to describe the coming Saviour is the Prince of Peace. So Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, has made peace between God and me, God and you. Isaiah refers to the Saviour, Jesus, as the Prince of Peace. He's referring specifically to the fact that God, uh, Jesus made peace between you and God. So why did Jesus have to make peace between God and us? Well, we have a problem. Before a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Saviour, The Bible says they are separated from a holy and a righteous God, a perfect God. And they're going the wrong way and they're independent of God. 
Now, God hates sin for a simple reason is it separates us from perfection himself. He doesn't want anything. You don't like anything that separates your children from you. You get antsy about that. But this has got huge implications. Sin creates a gulf between us and a holy God. The Bible says this in Isaiah 59. Again, Isaiah is still speaking on this. Isaiah 59, it says this, but your iniquities, that's an old word for sin. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. There's a breakdown. Breakdown in communication too. Every sin, friends, ultimately is a sin against God. Ultimately, and his nature. So sin, though, has a consequences on earth because the Bible says don't be mocked. When a man sows, that shall he reap, but also in heaven. Sin has and will separate people from a holy and righteous God. And so there's an implication from willingly separating yourself from God by sin. The Bible says that. For the wages of sin is death. And he's talking about not only physical death, but eternal death, spiritual death, separation from God. That's the bad news. There's some big implications. And all of our human efforts to try and fix that problem fail. Especially things like, well, if I just do more good works, no, but you're still broken. We're still sinners. The Bible says this in Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Now look at this next part. And all... Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The best we can do misses a mile by a gazillion miles. They're like rubbish compared to perfection. But here's the good news for the righteous sinner's death. But the free gift can't earn it. Of God is eternal life. How? Who? In Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only one way to heaven and it's mentioned smack there in that verse, Romans 6.23. Jesus took on himself the full wrath of God whilst hanging on the cross and shed his own blood for you and for me to pay the penalty for our sins. And once I accept Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, once I believe in, believe in him and put my faith in him that he died in my place, at that moment of belief, that exact moment of belief, I become reconciled to God. And the debt's been reconciled, paid in full, and Jesus has made peace between God and me. Look what the Bible says here. Colossians 1. For God is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is Jesus he's talking about. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Through what? His blood shed on the cross. So Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, has made peace between God and and me, God and you. And when you believe that, you will be surprised by hope. So where are you today on these four qualities? Which of these four qualities did you need to be reminded of? Did you need to be reminded of how gargantuan God's love is and how big he is? Because remember, to make the universe, the cause is always greater than the effect. Did you need to be reminded of God's immense love for you, how deep and how wide 
that's greater than the greatest, you know, the largest stars or planets in the universe. Or maybe that Jesus as a mighty God has all of your problems under control. And that you, as Jesus said, whilst you're on earth, what did he say? You will have trouble. That's the reality check. But then I love the last part. He says, knowing that, but be of good cheer. For I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. This is temporal. Or maybe number three, maybe you resonated with the fact that Jesus, as the everlasting Father, always keeps His promises. That He makes to you through His Word. Or maybe some of you are here that have finally connected the dots and you realise that as a sinner, without Jesus, I am separated from a holy God and righteous God. But He also wants to fix that. Maybe you're saying, I now understand that Jesus wants to be part of His family by accepting his offer to pay for my sins on the cross. Now, if that's true for you today, I want to give you that opportunity to put your trust and your faith in Jesus for your salvation and for a new life because you have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And when you give your life to him, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, thank you for our time together. I pray that your spirit would move upon people right now. Friends, today if you were to say, I've heard something today. I don't understand everything, but I get now that I need a saviour. I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. I get that I've, my life's not perfect. I haven't done things the way I wanted to, let alone the way you wanted me to, God. I've tried to fix things, but clearly my best is not going to meet the moment. I get it, and I want to invite you to just pray this prayer after me. This is just a prayer between you and the Lord. Just say it in your heart. Maybe say something to Him like this. You may want to follow me in your heart and just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died to pay the price for my sin. And I am a sinner who needs a saviour. Thank you that, Lord, if I ask you, which I'm doing now, you are willing and able to forgive my sins. Would you come into my life by your Spirit? And would you help me from this point forward to follow you and to serve you with a new mind and a new heart and live the abundant life that you've planned for me. Surprised by hope and encouraged by joy. We pray these things in your powerful name. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.